Heavenly Father, may the words that come out of this mouth and the stories that are told be acceptable in your sight. And may the meditations of those who worship here in this building or many, many miles away as they worship online, may their meditations be acceptable in your sight. For if the preaching and the listening are acceptable, then your spirit has done his work and your people leave changed. To a small degree or a large degree, they leave changed. In our Lord's name, amen. Isaiah 55:10, a good one for today. Even as the rain and snow come down from heaven and return not thither until they've yielded seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so my word, my stories, shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish the purpose for which they were sent to your ears. The message is entitled, Stories to be Told. In a work I have as a minister, I hear many, 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 many stories. A hundred times the amount of stories that you'll ever hear. Nine hundred times there have been funeral services. And uh, 70% of those funeral services, a family member will get up. A word from the family, it's called. And they will talk about the individual who has just gone to heaven. I listen eagerly to their words because I want to know all I can about this individual who has just left this earth. If they're a member of the church, I have known them for a long, long time. I know stories, but I always hear other stories. Sometimes family stories are hilarious. They're passed on for decades. Sometimes family stories are more solemn in nature. Sometimes they're very heroic. We listen to a story about great-grandpa coming over from uh, Germany or from uh, some other place, and he knew nobody, and he's only 16 years of age, and, and he lands here. Or we hear a story about great-grandma whose husband died in a farm accident when he was 28, and she raised seven children by herself. We hear stories like this. And they're heroic in nature. Sometimes those stories actually touch our heart to the extent that when we make a decision, we look at what grandma or grandpa did, or great-grandma and grandpa, or even mom and dad. Family stories. But they always come to an end. After a generation or two have gone by, the last person who remembers that story, they've gone to heaven and the story goes with them. I've told you a handful of times that when I used to get the newspaper, I would look at the obituaries and I'd look for the American flag and I would know instantly by looking at their age, whether it was World War II or whether it was Korea or whether it was Vietnam, and I would always make a sign of the cross over that obituary notice and I'll always say a little prayer because if you've ever talked to a veteran, do they have stories? And most of the time, they don't want to talk about it. Most of the time, if they start talking about it, they have to stop because it's just too emotional. It's too hard. Stories that we share. You just sang a hymn, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. You just sang a hymn. It's 120 years old. 
Whenever we sing a hymn at these traditional services, I always look at the bottom of the hymn because it tells you who wrote the hymn and it tells you when they lived. That hymn was 120 years old. Precious Lord, take my my hand. I'm trying to think, what were they going through when they wrote the hymn? Did he have a cancer diagnosis? Is that what he was writing about? Did his wife die? Did his son or a daughter die? What was going on in his life that caused him to write that poem that found its way into the hymn book? Does that hymn touch your life? Why does it? It's 120 years old. The hymn, Children of the Heavenly Father, that's 150 years old. I can never sing it without getting emotional. And you know why. You can never sing it without getting emotional. Why does a hymn touch our heart so? Some of the hymns we sing, they're 300, 400, 500 years old. We sang a hymn a month ago during Advent. It was 1,100 years old. Why don't those stories die? Why don't these stories die? Why don't they go away? Why do they remain? Why do they still touch our lives? Because the author is not someone in your family. The author of these stories is God. And when you look at a hymn, one hymn is going to talk about the power of God, and another hymn, like Good Shepherd Sunday, is going to talk about the love of God, and another hymn is going to talk about the wisdom of God. And even a thousand years ago, people were dealing with the same stuff, right? The three big things in life, health, finances, and relationships. A thousand years ago, they were dealing with those things And 500 years ago, you had still sin, death, and the power of the devil at work in people's lives. And you had the one constant. You had the one constant that the hymn writer could go to. And the one constant is the same constant we have as we shared the psalm today. God is what? He is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my fortress. Stories to be told. You read these stories, my goodness gracious, are you kidding me? Abraham was born 2,200 years before Jesus was born. When we read stories about Abraham, I mean, we're going 4,000 years back. When we look at the story of the Red Sea, you're going way, 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 way back. Moses living 1500 B.C. Why do these stories still affect our lives Because the Holy Spirit grabs hold of the stories. And when the Holy Spirit grabs hold of a story, it's God grabbing hold of a story. And if God can say to an earth without form or shape, uh, that's all void. If God can say to an earth, let there be light and there is light. God can say to a story in here, let there be light this day for Paul Strand. Let there be light this day for Tony. Let there be this day light for Ken. You read a verse in the Bible. It means little to you. It's important, but it means little to you. But something happens in your life. And all of a sudden you open up the pages of this book. And that's something that has happened in your life. It's like God directs you to the exact verse, the exact story that he wants you to read. And all of a sudden, that verse, that story, means everything to you. The Spirit has done its work. 
and the word hasn't fallen on thorny ground or ground with shallow soil. It's fallen on fertile grounds. Our parochial school every single day, uh, along with math and science and geography and all the rest, stories. Stories. A couple of years ago, I'm teaching the first graders. And I said to the first graders, what, what do your mom and dad do for work? And you know how first graders are, man. They, both hands were up. Tough to keep them in their chairs, okay? They wanted to talk. My dad's a truck driver. My dad's a, an accountant. My dad's a plumber. My dad's an electrician. My mom is a nurse. Just the pride on their face as they talked about their parents' jobs. And then I asked them this question. I said, could anyone else do what your mom or dad do? They took a moment and then they said, oh yeah, yeah, anyone can be a truck driver, anyone can be a plumber, anyone can be a carpenter, anyone can be a nurse. I said, turn around, and they did. And in the back of the room there was a cross. I said, what was Jesus' work? And more than one hand went up and they said, his work was to die on the cross. I said, well, tell me why he died on the cross. And they said, well, pastor, he died for our sins, that we could be saved from our sins. And I said, well, that's, that's good. That's the correct answer. Was that the end of the story? Did he die and did he stay dead? No, pastor. No, 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 man. He rose on the third day. We're talking first grade. And we're talking me getting goosebumps because a six-year-old has heard the story about Jesus. There have been too many funerals lately. The funeral I did a couple of weeks ago, there's a seven-year-old. And I ask him, where's your grandma? And he said, without hesitation, she's in heaven. I'll see her again, Pastor. She's in heaven. Jesus died for her. Jesus rose. He's in heaven. One day in that school, one week on a Sunday, the teachers, Pastor Shar, myself, one day, we're talking about a Red Sea opening and the people are saved. One week in this pulpit, one day in that school, we're talking about prodigal son. Reminding them, you're never too far from God, His grace. One day, especially during the season of Lent, which is right around the corner, one day we're talking about the forgiveness of sins, God trampling our sins under His feet, casting them into the depths of the sea. And one day we're talking about loaves of Bread and fish being multiplied and 10,000 are fed. And you just don't tell the story. A teacher in the school then begins to explain the story and they bring God into the story. And they just don't bring it into a story that's 1,500 years old. They're bringing God into the story of these children's lives. And when Pastor and Shower and I preach on a Sunday morning, we pray before we ever come to a sermon. I preached a sermon last night. I said, no, it's not right. I should change it. I should preach a different sermon. And then I remember what I always told Jonathan. 
I always told my son, if you have doubts about whether you should preach a sermon or not, trust that God wants you to deliver that sermon on that day because there will be someone listening who needs to hear that story. That's what Pastor Shower and I try and do, and that's what our teachers do in the school. They take a story and they bring it home and they say, here's how it applies to your life. Earthly stories end, these do not. I have told a particular story 950 times. That's how many funerals I've done. And that's how many times on an Easter I've shared the story. 950 times. And every time I share the story, it's like I've shared it for the very first time. Why? Because there's a different family sitting here. And they need to hear the story about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And they need to hear the greatest verse in the Bible. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. One week, you'll hear a story about a man dying on a cross. And uh, three days later, you hear a story about a man being raised from the dead. The stories, the stories, the stories. 7,000 stories of promise in this Bible. These stories will never come to an end. Not if the earth stood another 4,000 years and never come to an end. Why? Because Jesus said it for Pete's sake. Luke 21, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word, my stories, my promises, they will never pass away. We shouldn't be here 163 years, right? I mean, this is not possible. The church starts 163 years ago, and and four or five years after it starts, here comes the Civil War. And the Civil War went through this community, and it tore apart this community like it did the entire country. And after this church had only been in existence for six or seven years, and you got 12 families, they could have said, man, let's shut this down. The timing's really bad. Let's shut her down. Nah, it survives the Civil War. And then in the early part of the century, here comes Spanish flu. There was a man who, when I first came, he was a former farmer. He was a custodian of the school. Irv Irv Engelhardt was his name. This church sits on the property of the farm that he owned. Irv Engelhardt showed me a picture one day. I said, who's that? He said, it's me. I said, how old are you? He said, I'm three years old. I said, is that your mom and dad? And he said, yeah, it is. And then he said this. He said, Pastor, one week after this picture was taken, my mom and dad died on the same day of the Spanish flu. And I was raised by other family members. The Spanish flu went through this community. And we didn't have live streaming and we didn't have vaccines and it went on for three or four years. How in the world did the church survive Spanish flu? And no sooner does it survive that than here comes World War I. And then here comes the Great Depression. 
were like 50% of businesses, churches, and schools throughout the country. They were just decimated. How did this church survive the Great Depression? It was because we had farmers, and they lived on the land. I don't know, maybe so. And then here comes World War II, and here comes Vietnam, and here comes the chaos in the 70s. And here comes the Seminex movement in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod seminaries. How did this church survive all of that? And here comes our financial situation. Churches close all the time. I'll tell you why they close. There are 70 or 80 people, and the boiler goes, and it's going to cost 200000 bucks to, uh, to, to repair that boiler, and they don't have the money. What do they do? They shut the church. Or they have 100 people, and the roof needs to be fixed, and it's going to cost 180000 to fix the roof, and they don't have the money, so the church closes. It was a year and a half ago, and I truly wondered whether Trinity Lutheran Church and School was going to come to an end. Why? Because we had a million dollars worth of things that needed to be repaired. $300,000 roofs, $100,000 fire alarm system. We're going to shut you down unless you get this repaired and up to code. Air conditioning, everything else under the sun. A million dollars. When Rusty Lewis came for the first time, he said, how much do you need? We said 1.5 million. And even as we said it, he kind of shook his head and we shook our head. And he said, you know, your church never going to reach that number. And I said, I know that. Let's lower it. Let's see if we can reach a million. He scratched his head a little bit. I don't know if that's possible, but let's shoot for it. And by the miracle of God, and by the generosity and tenacity of the people, how do you explain 1.8 million being raised? And how do you explain to Rusty Lewis or myself or any of us, how do you explain that after 13 months a million dollars has come in? How do you explain that? God watching over his church. And then here it is, March 15th, right? And COVID comes. I heard way back then that 35 to 40% of all churches and schools in this country would close because of the COVID virus. And what does God provide? Live streaming. Cameras we had purchased two years ago and decided not to do live streaming, and now all of a sudden we have no choice. I got a letter yesterday, Chris Ferguson, are you listening? From Nebraska. And she sits and she writes, she said, thank you so much for letting me and my husband become a part of your congregation because we listen every single week. She said, my husband was a non-church goer, and now he's a can't-misser. Okay? She sends a donation to help with the ministry. Not only does God let us survive, but he finds new means whereby his word can be cast out there. Stories. If you have children, they are a sacred trust. If you have a child, you have someone in your life that you would give your life for 
instantly. When they are baptized, the parent takes vows. I will pray for them daily. I will set a Christian example for them daily in word and deed. I'll bring them regularly to the services of God's house someplace. And I will provide for their further instruction in the Christian faith. A parent never takes a vow, I'm going to feed my children, I'm going to make sure they have clothes. It's just expected. But the spiritual aspect of their life, you take vows, that child is sacred trust. Our school and our church is a sacred trust. You say, no, 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 no. It is. It is. The church members who went through the Civil War, the church members who went through the Spanish flu, the church members who lost loved ones in World War I, the church members who lost everything during the Great Depression, the church members who lost sons and daughters of the Vietnam War, those who lost loved ones in World War II, you see what I'm saying? They said this place is so important in our lives. And you guys... In the 19 years thereabouts that Shower's been here and the 33 years that Strand's been here, we've tangentially been a part of your stories, have been touched by them. And my family and Pastor Shower's family have been touched by you. This is a sacred trust. That is why our prayers, our acts of kindness, and our offerings continue forth. God has no plan. I'm almost done. God has no plan B. David wrote, 900 years before Jesus is born, David wrote, Psalm 145, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall speak forth your stories to the next generation. There's no plan B. God has ordained and commanded that the story be passed from generation to generation, and thus shall the truth be preserved on this earth and in your own family line. Those who have lived through great depressions and wars and Vietnam and everything else and those who have lived through COVID, they will share with their children stories that are connected with God that other generations can't. Here's how God was with us during COVID virus. Here's how God was with me during the Vietnam War. Here's how God was with me. I close with this story. Many years ago, 11 o'clock at night, she calls. She says, Pastor, my husband just died. I said, where are you, Elaine? She said, I'm in my bedroom. I had visited the day before. Her husband had been in a hospice bed for three months in the living room. I said, where's your husband? She said, he's in the living room. I said, are you in the room with him? She said, no. I said, how do you know your husband's died? She said, an angel told me. I said, tell me more, Elaine. She said, an angel came into my bedroom. She told me my husband had just died. She told me, not be afraid, don't be sad. He's with 
Jesus in heaven. I said, what did the angel look like? She said, I couldn't see his face because it was as bright as the sun. But Pastor, the angel was really, really tall. When he came into my bedroom, his back was against the ceiling. He was bent over and his back was against the ceiling. She said, Pastor, I know my husband has died. I don't want to go out there alone. Can you come over? And I went over and I went through the back door and I walked into her bedroom and I said, Elaine, let's go out there. And her husband was gone. She said this to me. She said, I can tell this story to you because you understand. But I can't share it with anyone else. They'll think I'm crazy. Once, twice, three times a year, I hear stories from you guys. And you say to me the same thing. I can tell you the story, Pastor. You won't think I'm crazy. But make sure you don't mention me in your sermon. And I say to them, as I did to Elaine, you have to tell this story to anybody and everybody, especially if you have children. You have to tell them this story because God has touched your life and you know it. And that story must be told. God be with each of us. May there never be a moment today as I pray daily. May there never be a moment today that for me and those that I love, for you guys, never a moment that you do not realize the presence, the peace, and the strength of God. You walked in this morning with a story. God already knows it. And he has linked his heart with yours. And he has linked his hands with yours. Leave with great courage and great hope. God is with you. In our Savior's name, amen. Lord, so we are given this trust. And the trust is not just a building and it's not just a school. The trust, quite frankly, is your word. Heaven and earth shall pass away, my word shall never pass away, but my word will not get very far unless my children share the stories and the promises and the miracles that my word holds. Make us bold to do that, Lord. Philemon 1.6 Be active in sharing the stories of God because it will but serve to strengthen your own faith. Amen to that. May, you, may we do your work, Lord. And may we do it with passion and enthusiasm and grace in our Savior's name. Amen.